listening to Nightlight. And you're listening to a special interview edition of Nightlight. This week with Stephen Strutt, author of Enoch Insights. And he's speaking to us over Skype from his home in the United Kingdom. Nightlight's interview of the week. Well, I've really been looking forward to this interview because for some time I've been interested in the book of Enoch, which I've been thinking of recording as an audiobook. I haven't had much time to research it, so I'm very thankful that Stephen sent me one of the first copies of his new book, Enoch Insights. And I must say that he's done a terrific job with his verse-by-verse commentaries, as well as his excellent cross-references to relevant passages in the Bible and also other apocryphal books. So, welcome to Nightlight, Stephen. Great to have you with us. Oh, it's my privilege, Simon. Um, I'm very proud of your show. I'm an I'm a avid listener. And, uh, now, Stephen, I know that here. a lot of Christians don't place much value on the apocryphal books as they've been left out of the Bible, although I believe that many of them are still in the Catholic Bible. But tell us about the book of Enoch. First of all, did Enoch actually write it? And why should we take time to read it? Well, the book of Enoch itself is quite a big mystery. That's what makes it fascinating. Who wrote it? When was it written? Was it written by one author or was it written by four? These are questions that have been asked for centuries. Right. Even more interesting is why was it blacklisted for a thousand years? For a thousand years it was blacklisted by the Catholic Church. I find that fascinating to know why would they blacklist a book like that? And I talk about that in my book. The thing about Mm -hmm. it is that Enoch, he lived so long ago that we have lost trace of the evidence of some of the things he talks about. What I mean by that is that he, he describes things in such a way that it's even difficult for people today to understand. And as you know, it was written, it was brought into English about a hundred years ago, translated into English from the original text. It was in Hebrew. But unfortunately, what's happened is many people today can't even understand Old English. That's why I started to write about it. I started to write about the book of Enoch because many people told me they'd tried to study the book of Enoch before and they put it down because they simply couldn't understand the text. That is the case with most people. They, it's not that they weren't interested in it. Right. They couldn't understand the old English text. And that's why I come in, because I've studied English and literature. I've studied old English, and so I understand it really well. And, of course, King James we have that experience with big missionaries for years. Yes. But you say, yeah. why? Why would anybody want to study the Book of Enoch? So that's a very valid question. The thing is, that the Book of Enoch has been a banned book, number one. It's been a banned book, but it used to be. It was read by the early Christians, and it was written. When it was written a long time ago, it was eventually recompiled, correctly, as it's said today by historians, around about two, 300 BCE. And it was read by avid Jewish people in the centuries before Christ. And it was a foundation stone for the early Christians. The early Christians used to quote from it all the time. And you can see evidence of that in the Bible itself in the book of Jude. Yes. Uh, But it has been blacklisted or pushed into the background. And people ask me why. One of the main reasons it was pushed into the background Because Enoch talks about an unsavory topic that many churches and religions do not want to address. 
And that is the fact that angels could have sex with human women. They don't like to address that. But it's in the Bible. Yeah, I know, but they still don't like to hear it because they, they have tried to explain it away as it didn't mean what it said. Uh, they've got the whole story of the sons of Seth doctrine that was cooked up in about 200 years after Christ. But the thing is this, the more you investigate it, you find out that Enoch was actually spot on when he wrote about things 5,000 years ago. Why is the book so important? Because Enoch was the first major prophet of God in pre-diluvial times who had a connection with God which was second to none. He even himself says, there won't be anybody like me after me uh, that has direct contact with heaven. I mean, he countlessly times went up to heaven, was in the very presence of God himself. He had many angels talking to him, uh, especially the angel Ariel, well, that's the Jewish name for Ariel, or Uriel, as it's written in the book of Enoch. But he had the amazing ability of being in the presence of God so many times. Wow. That he had such yeah. an aura, similar to Moses. When Moses came off the mountain, he had this aura of being in the presence of God. Right. He, was, he had such an aura that it says that 120 kings walked in fear of him, and they came to Enoch, and while he lived, uh, and his life was short for pre-flood times, 365 times. For 240 years, he reigned and ruled on the earth as king of kings. He was literally a king of kings because they would set all him and the power of God. Wow. And as long as Enoch was ruling, the, the planet was in pretty good shape. It, the, the world was in peace. How many years was that? 243 years that Enoch ruled. Gosh, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, uh, well, you know, Enoch, he died as a young person at 365. Wait, up. Oh, I correct myself. Wow. This is the mistake people make. Uh, they say about he died. He didn't die. Enoch was translated. There's a big difference. He, he never died. That, that's the whole key to the book. Right. To realize yeah. he never died. He was taken... He went to another plane. Uh, one of the key things I bring out in my book is to understand that Enoch was a type of intercessor of pre-flood times like Christ is in the New Testament, but not on the same level of the Son of God, of course, but he was some type of intercessor between mankind and even angels and to talk with God because you had fallen angels on the earth who wanted to be forgiven and they sent Enoch to go and talk with God and to try and get forgiveness for, for their treacherous deeds. But of course God said, no, I'm not going to forgive you because you've messed up the whole planet. You've, you've destroyed everything. So it's mm. a very exciting, endless subject, the book of Enoch, because for me it's the most important book I've ever studied outside of the Bible. Now I always, say, I always say to others, look, know your Bible really well, and when you've got done, gone that far, then study the Apocrypha books. Because I would say, I would agree with many Christians that the Bible's the most important. That's what we need for our foundation. But once you know that really well, once you're used to talking with the Lord and you have a relationship with Jesus, then I think it's time for your people to learn from these Apocrypha books because they're very inspired. I wouldn't say they were just written by any old person, not at all. The more I study the Apocrypha books, I, the more I see that it is like Romans 1.20. They were inspired by God himself. There's no doubt in my mind the more I study them. Therefore, I would say that will be the next step up for people that know the Bible is start reading some of the apocryphal books 
Uh, because you'll find, believe it or not, some of these are popular books I'm working on. Take Second Esdras, my next book, which is called Esdras Insights, my third book's coming out. That one, actually, it's in uh, the Orthodox Church have it in their Bible. Really? In Ethiopia still has it. The Ethiopian church still has it in their Bible. That's Second Esdras, right? Well, I look forward to reading that one also. What's important for people to know is they've been hoodwinked because up until 1885, there were 15 more books in the King James Bible. Really? 15 of the books, including Second Esdras, the one I'm writing about for my third book. And Stephen, these were translated by the same translators who translated the King James Bible as we know it? It is indeed. You see, the, the thing is this, somebody made a decision back in 1885 to take out 15 important books out of the Bible. The big question is why, and who gave them the authority to do that when, when they'd been there for almost 2,000 years? If you could see right. the original text in Jewish, it would have been there since the time of Christ, and yet... Somebody in 1805, with the 1885, in the um, King James Version, decided they didn't want those apocryphal books in there. So the, these apocryphal books were in the King James Bible for a couple of hundred years. That's correct. Well, I never knew that. I, no, I didn't until recently. <laughs> like, like, it's like, when I started writing this book, Enoch Insights, if you see in my introduction, a lot of things I said, I said by inspiration in the introduction of my book. I said, look, I said, like, I suspect that some of these books have been blacklisted for one reason or the other. I don't know who, but by who, but obviously somebody didn't like Christ. Yes. And at the time I wrote the beginning of the book, I didn't have the background information. Later, it was verified exactly as I said, that yes, they had hidden the Book of Enoch for a thousand years, and you could be burned at the stake for even reading it or having a copy of it. Think of that. A thousand gosh, years, gosh. the book of Enoch blacklisted until approximately 200 years ago. Somebody gosh. hated it so much they didn't want the public to know anything about the fallen angels. I would say, you know, that the, my book here, Enoch Insights, it gives great insight into the book of Enoch itself, which is a book I would say, I dispute with others that it was written 200 years before Christ. I believe it was written from what I've studied and all the evidence from many sources. It was actually written about 5,000 years ago, and it was the very first book ever written. But that would mean that a copy of this book, the Book of Enoch, must have come with nowhere on the Ark. That's correct. That's, that's the exciting thing. The very exciting thing uh, on doing this project with Enoch was to address some questions. For example, I've had people say, oh no, the book of Enoch's not true. It can't have been written by Enoch, blah, blah, blah. Just because of a few idiosyncrasies that don't match up with the Bible. Right, well, I have handled that in this book by explaining that just because we don't initially understand doesn't mean to say it's not true. Because yes. there were things happening back there that possibly we can't understand today. I don't proclaim for a moment to understand everything in the book of Enoch. There's a lot of still great mysteries and I'd like to find answers for. But I think Enoch put it down in the best way he could describe. But how do you describe spiritual things? How do you describe going into the presence of God and his angels and seeing things that we don't have in the physical realm? How do you describe these things accurately so the next person doesn't get blown away? Right. You know, so I've, yeah. try, I've tried to bring out these exciting points. Like, I'll give you one example. One question is, some people say, well, 
it can't be right because it talks about in the book of Enoch as uh, Enoch talking with Noah. Yes. But Noah and Enoch, according to the Bible, didn't live at the same time. Now, I checked that out. That's correct. According to Bible charts, Noah was born about 90 years after the translation of Enoch. But, of course, the way they talk, they are assuming that Enoch died. Right. But as I said earlier, he did. One of the key points in the whole thing of studying this book of Enoch is that Enoch never died. He was translated. Why is that important? Because, as you know, most people don't like talking to the dead or it's taboo or it's certainly against all religions to talk with the dead right so god wanted to make somebody as an intercessor who hadn't died so that people a few people like noah and also methuselah wouldn't be scared to contact enoch because technically he'd never died i bring that important point out in my book why it was important that he was translated and they didn't die physically because most people are totally taboo about talking with ghosts and stuff like that and they would consider it to be wrong rightly so so god made a way how it was still possible for certain key people like noah methuselah to actually talk with enoch long after he's been translated that is a very very important point in studying the book of enoch like a candle in the night it's nightlight special edition of Nightlight. I'm interviewing Stephen Strutt, author of Enoch Insights, who's talking to us from his home in the UK. And I can hear kids playing outside your window, Stephen, but that's fine. I don't think they're loud enough to disturb the interview. Uh, Stephen, I have your book open at chapter one, and the first verse says, the words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. So it sounds as if Enoch is writing this for us, who are living in the last days and are most likely going to be the ones going through the Great Tribulation. So what is the relevance of this book to us who are living today? Well, the thing is, Enoch was inspired to be able to see the entire panorama of history. Nobody's done that. If you study the entire book, over and over again, you find out that he, God showed him clearly from the very beginning of creation until the end of it. I'm talking about all the way through to the new heaven, new earth. And he's described every part of it, right? How could somebody do this 5,000 years ago unless it was by divine inspiration and by angelic help? So the thing is, the more you read this book, the more you'll be convinced it is inspired and is given from heaven. And it isn't just men making it up. You couldn't make up a book like this. In answer to something else you asked before, it is true this book has four sections to it. It has four different sections to it. But actually, they, to me, they all sound like the same person talking. In fact, in, my, in the appendix of my book, I go into great detail in describing the background history of the book of Enoch and also how it was put together and, and why it's so incredibly special. But you'll find that in the appendix four and five of my book. It gives, gives all the background information uh, about the Book of Enoch. Well, look, uh, Stephen, maybe you could walk us through section by section, give us an overview of the content of the book. A lot of the first part seems to be about the fallen angels. If you go through chapters 1 to 32, that's mostly about the uh, fallen angels and um, 
Okay. Well, could you give us a summary of the content of those 32 chapters, what it's about and how it's relevant to us today? Okay, well, I could do better than that. I could give you... I've actually written out something that doesn't exist in the Book of Enoch, and that is I've written a title for each chapter of the book. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you what it is. Like, you've got 108 chapters in, in the Book of Enoch. I could read some of them to you if you want, because, like I say, I don't see the book as... Um, uh, the way it has been done by some academics. You see, the, if you read the appendix four and five of this book, it gives a right. very big picture, you know, uh, so many details. I, I don't want to go into all the details in five minutes, but I'll tell you, I'll give you some idea. It is true, those four sections, it seems to me that it is possible that they were all assembled about 200 BC. Everybody's consistent on that one. But I think that they were all written by Enoch. I don't think that any parts of the book were written by someone else. I think they had yeah. dedicated scribes who had written it down, maybe under persecution they took up a pseudonym and they used the name Enoch, but actually in looking into it very, very well, I'm convinced that all four sections of the book of Enoch were written indeed by Enoch originally. Somebody, mm -hmm. somebody had each part, they put it all back together again, in about 200 BC. That seems to be verified by a lot of writers, okay? Well, I'll just give you a few of the um, topics I've put in here, because nobody's done this before, is to put titles for all the chapters, because, not surprising, because there are 108 chapters, but just to give you, whet your appetite, you can have, say, in chapter, chapter six, no, chapter five says fallen angels, chapter seven says giants and titans, of course, the giants and titans came because of the chapter six angels cohabit with the cohabit, sorry, with women. But that's only yep. some of the story. A lot of Christians they know about fallen angels came down, made love with the women on earth, and created giants. But that's only a little bit of the story. It's much bigger than that. That's why you need to read my book, because there's a lot more to it than just giants and and uh, seducing women, because it turned out to go the other way. The terrible tragedy in pre-flood times was, imagine this, eventually the normal men got pushed out of the picture uh, because what happened was that the women got used to being with angels and they thought, why do we need normal men? Gosh. You see, you see nobody's thought about these things before and addressed these things. Right. And the women right. were taught by the fallen angels, it says specifically in the Book of Enoch, to become seductresses, become experts at seduction. Right, and so that's why the world became more and more depraved and really sad planet because of these fallen angels who illegally came down to the earth, made love with the women of earth, thinking that they would create some wonderful sons who would be heroes. But it didn't work out that way. Why? Because it was total disobedience, flagrant disobedience to God. And instead, they started getting sons that were these massive giants. And... Um, a lot of people dispute they said giants and titans how's that possible well i want to tell you more and more you go on uh, steve quayle's uh, site for example he's the expert on giants he's a, he's a dedicated christian yes on his site you will see so much evidence about giants and giant skeletons that are found all over the planet yes and i'm talking about not just some giants the size of goliath uh, say nine feet nine tall we used to think that was big they actually have skeletons today that are 45 feet high. I have them on my website. You know, you're talking wow. about skeletons so big. as Can you imagine giants are 50 feet high, what you'd feel like? It reminds me of what they said in the Old Testament when Joshua 
sent his spies to spy out the land, and, and they came back and said, we was grasshoppers in our own sight. Now, I used to think yes. that that was just an expression, you know, but maybe yes, the right. giants really were that big. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is here, um, from all I've studied, the giants were much bigger before the flood than after the flood. But Stephen, how did the giants come back after the flood uh, when they were all wiped out by the flood? Well, this leads me to another book. There is a, one of the other apocryphal books that I'm working on, the book of Jasher. It talks about after the flood, the one of the sons of Noah, it was one of the sons of Ham, he saw some strange writing on a rock. And he knew right yeah. away it was writing from the Nephilim. In other words, it was writing from the fallen angels. And he hid it from Noah. And the thing is, what they did was, these fallen angels were smart, very diabolically smart. They wrote things down on, on uh, all kinds of places. I believe, in fact, they were the ones with their sons, the giants. They're the ones who wrote on all these things we don't understand today. All this writing they claimed the Egyptians made, but it wasn't them. It was written long before the flood. A lot of the writings they find all over the world were written by these fallen angels and by their sons because they wanted to be remembered. They wanted to be remembered and they wanted their technology to be passed on to people like themselves. Because being angelic, they knew quite a lot of what would happen. They, I mean, they're not like God, but they knew. They had powers and they, they knew things. So they wanted to pass on, even in their rebellion, as stupid it is, that when people are very rebellious, they become very blind. <laughs> right. And with the amount of power they had, they were not only incredibly arrogant, but they were very, very proud and blind. But anyway, they found a way to pass on some of the knowledge by writing it down on stones. And we have plenty of evidence that today. I mean, you have things we still can't explain. Like you go to Baalbek there in the Middle East, you find these massive stones that are 3,000 tons, perfectly cut. We couldn't even do it today. And you have this sort of stuff all over the world. In fact, it's coming out of the ground all the time. And we cannot explain with modern science, how is that done? And so what we've been taught, one of my reasons for writing the book Enoch is to show people but what the Bible says is true. What it says in the book of Romans is true about the perversity that will happen in the end time. I'm talking about perversity of the mind, especially, where people become perverse in their minds and no longer believe the simple scriptures and no longer believe in simple salvation in Jesus. But they will go astray with many modern devices, many demonic devices, which is happening today. People are getting away from the foundation of the word of God. Well, Enoch, he knew about this. He even talked about it happening. He talked about that people would all go astray. And he said that the flood would be the first judgment. But he said there would come another one like unto it. And of course, Jesus himself said that as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And what was Jesus right. talking about? He was talking about we're going to have the same conditions in the time Jesus comes back as it was just before the flood. I mean, that's a scary message for a lot of people, but what does that mean? Does that mean that the giants are going to come back? That's a very good topic. I won't go into that now, but you can find a lot about that, about the giants coming back. Why would they come back? Well, I think you better talk to the transhumanists about that and those who get into genetic engineering and those who are trying to use the DNA of the past giants to try and bring them back. There's some pretty crazy scientists out there, in my opinion. But all these things happen, are happening on this planet. 
And of course, you have to look at it spiritually. We as Christians know there's a, a, a deeper spiritual thing behind it all. And that's what has to be brought out. That it's not just physical. Those, those giants didn't just happen before the flood, just physically happen. It was a spiritual problem that happened. And the same right. conditions that existed before the flood are coming back again. Man is, is creating exact conditions to bring back exactly those conditions and the entities that existed in human form prior to the flood. That is a, what Book of Enoch talks about. Nightlight Insights enjoying some fascinating insights into the book of Enoch shared with us by the author of Enoch Insights, Stephen Strutt. Well, we're going to take a breather for a song, allow us time to digest what we've heard so far. How about this one from Jeremy Spencer? Young world, we are living in a young world, in spite of what they've told us. It's not as old as they'd have us believe Ooh. Young world It's good to know that it's a young world As simple as it sounds It's only been around since Adam and Eve This world and its treasure of deep mystery created for our pleasure as a brief history ooh, 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 ooh. young world will see in time that it's a young world like a little child barely out of its infancy ooh, 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 ooh. In spite of its heartaches and growing pains Time will tell when it can safely be free from its reign Young world, we are living in a young world In spite of what they've told us it's not as old as they'd have us believe As simple as it sounds It's only been around since Adam and Eve Young world, it's a young Jeremy Spencer, Young World, a song quite relevant to the book of Enoch that tells us a lot of things about our world that you won't find in the school textbooks, as I'm sure our guest on today's show, Stephen Strutt, will tell us something about. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Stephen, before you go on with some of the other interesting things you have to share about the book of Enoch, let me ask you a couple of short questions that I've wondered about. For example, why did the length of chapters vary so much. Many of the chapters are only one verse long. You know, that is also a very good question. Yes, I tried to answer that in my book, but I didn't actually 
find the full answer of that, only to state that I think that some parts of the book of Enoch, sadly, are missing. As you know, in the, when they d discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, I think it was 1947, 1948, they found a broken copy of the Book of Enoch, right? Okay. But it was an Aramaic, right? Some of it was there, and the wonderful thing about them discovering the Book of Enoch there was it proved it was real. Because for centuries, they've been saying, no, it was just written by any old person. But then they found out that here's a copy from the orig original, and it predates um, Christ. But unfortunately, they don't have a complete copy of it. But... There are copies yes. of the book of Enoch, both in uh, Aramaic and in Hebrew. And thus it has been verified and modernized many times over as being totally genuine. And that's what people need to know. Because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have a lot more insights into these books that we didn't have before. Because for centuries, somebody was trying to dismiss the books, say, oh no, we don't read that and that. But when you find out that it was written by bona fide scribes, right. writers, and prophets. Then you decide uh, you want to start reading it. I myself, I never got into reading these books until only about six years ago. You know, because prior to that time, there wasn't that much information about these books, about who wrote them, what was right, what was wrong, you know. It's only in modern times we found out that these books are, are very worth, you know, reading for all of us. Yes. In fact, I'll tell you this to your readers, that anybody who takes the time to read the book of Enoch, it's, it's going to blow their mind and it's going to inspire them. You don't have to be afraid of the book of Enoch just because of a few fallen angels and giants and, and, and demonic powers. Yes. It's good for Christians to empower themselves with the knowledge of the Word of God so they're knowledgeable in, in the Word of God and they can teach others. But I want to point out something that some people, they only mention... All they know about the Book of Enoch is the fallen angels and the giants. Nearly everybody knows that. But there's a lot more to it than that. In chapter 49, for example, it starts talking about the elect one. And in chapter 46, it talks about the Son of Man. Uh, you know, only in the Book of Enoch and the Book of Daniel does it talk about Jesus as the Son of Man. Only in the Book of Enoch and the Book of Daniel. Why is that? Describes Jesus in great detail. So, Enoch knew about Jesus. He, he described him in detail, and he described about uh, the power that God was giving him. It describes God the Father, and it describes God the Son, right there in the book of Enoch. Yes. So we as Christians, we should be reading the book of Enoch. It's, it's very important, because it talks about Jesus. Wow. It's wonderful how they talk about Jesus. And it, it clearly says that Jesus is going to win the spiritual fight, and he's going to kick out all the dark powers. They are going to lose. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. Stephen, tell us some other things written in the book of Enoch that we may not know. Well, I'll tell you, um, you have the, in chapter 72, you have the book of the course of the luminaries. And here Enoch is uh, describing stuff that today is very difficult for us to fully understand the angel Uriel is showing him the secrets of the Sun the moon the stars the universe how it works how it revolves in great detail so for most of us reading this it's probably a bit too technical uh, and I even told people to skip up skip over a few of those chapters in case you find it too repetitive 
But for somebody who is scientifically minded, it's going to blow them away because how could you know all that information about talking about the, um, the rotation of the planet and the sun? One thing I'd like to bring out on this one, a book of the Course of Luminaries, which is going to blow people away, is according to the book of Enoch, what we're taught in modern science is incorrect. Yes. In modern science, we're taught the idea that the Earth goes around the sun, and the sun goes around the galaxy, and the galaxy goes around the universe, etc. Et That's not quite how it is. Because in the book of Enoch, he describes the sun as revolving around something. If we believe in the Bible, it's very simple. Personally, I believe uh, in the geocentric version of the universe. In other words, everything revolves around the Earth. Scientists have told me, you know, you can't tell the difference between whether the sun revolves around the Earth or the Earth revolves around the sun. By observation, you can't tell the difference. There's no way of telling the difference. You know, unless you can go out there uh, in some way. But the problem with science, it acts like they know everything a lot of the time when they don't. Right. They simply don't. All you have to do is to open your Bible in Genesis. And what does it say? It states that God created the Earth before he created the, the moon and the sun and the planets and the stars. What does that say? He made the earth as a center of everything. So that's what I, I try to bring out here. And Enoch talked about it. Enoch says the universe is geocentric. In other words, everything revolves around the earth. You know, so that, that is, a, as I'd say, a, a mind bender for a lot of people. You know, I know, I myself, I was at two universities. I've studied science, I've studied electronics, I've studied maths, I've studied, I've studied a lot of things at university when I was young. Sadly, <coughs> I'd state that most of what we were taught, it's missing something. Um, it's missing something because you can't look at life just from a physical plane. You can't just think that this is all there is, what you see, feel, and hear, yes. and touch. There's another dimension. And as long as man doesn't acknowledge the spirit world, he's lost with his science. Uh, because that's another mystery I wanted to bring out in the book of Enoch, is the fact we can't understand everything Enoch saw because he could see things from a different dimensional point of view. Yes. And that's why some of the descriptions uh, sound very odd to us today. But what I would say to people in reading the book of Enoch is don't have a skeptical mind when you start off. Don't try and fit it into uh, what you're used to in just what the Bible says. But open your mind that maybe Enoch could see things that we don't have the privilege of seeing today. Why? Because the earth is not the same today as it was back then. There are, there are famous uh, people out there who can, right, people like Kent Hovind who can tell you all about that, how conditions were before the flood. And it seems that before the flood, there used to be a canopy of water around the earth. I'm sure uh, many of your listeners know about that. There used to be a canopy of water around the earth, about 100 miles up above the earth, yes. about 15 meters thick. And it acted as um, a protection of the earth, kept out cosmic rays and ultraviolet. And that's why people could live to be a thousand years old before the flood. But of course, at the flood, that whole canopy of protective water was knocked down. If you want to know more about that, the expert on that is Ken Hoven. Um, so that's what scientists who are Christians, they know about. They used to be, the world was totally different. Totally different atmosphere. And so that it's difficult for us in modern times to understand some of the things Enoch is describing. And like I say, some of the things will blow people away. That's, 
I can't accept that, the sun revolves around the earth. Well, there's quite a few things like that you'll find new in reading the book of Enoch. Um, and actually you'll find the same thing in other books. They also say the same thing. The Bible says that everything revolves around the earth. Just read Genesis, right? That's what it says. Yep, and many other places. Yes, exactly. Then you are going over to chapter 85 to 90. Then it goes on to these dream visions. These are very, very interesting. I've tried in my book to explain exactly what Enoch's talking about. Because imagine this. He has a vision of the whole panorama of time from his time all the way to Christ. But it's in this dream of sheep and animals. It's... um. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you, know, you know, Jesus himself loved talking about us as his sheep, like in John 10, he's a shepherd and we have a sheep. But Enoch did the same thing. He, he had this amazing dream where he got cattle that, um, he starts off with these cattle that were happy together in their stalls, but then a star fell from heaven. This is representing the fallen angels coming down and perverting everything. And then it says the cattle changed their form and started to change what they were doing and they started changing into other animals and so this vision is all about these animals how it progresses from initially a nice white bull but eventually you end up with all these other strange creatures and stuff that are happening all to do with the interference of fallen angels with mankind in the early days before the flood that messed things up so much that God in his sorrow had to end up destroying the whole world except for eight souls as you know Noah and his sons he talked about from his time until Christ in the form of people being sheep or cattle or a bull or a goat or other creatures and I in my book I've described I managed to find out you know from things I know from the Bible uh, just studying the Bible and studying the seven empires of mankind well six have gone the seventh is the coming Antichrist but studying the six empires of man that have gone so far Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, finally the Antichrist one that's predicted in, in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Well, Enoch describes all those empires. I mean, it's fantastic. He describes each empire as some animal, like he talks about Rome as an eagle. How, how, yes. could, how could somebody be describing accurately all these empires in the form of animals, right, all the way up to Christ, and then you find out later in studying it, like for example, we talk about Babylon as a lion. How did Enoch know things like that 5,000 years ago? Well, I'll tell you how. Because he, he believed in God. He was close to God. God revealed himself to him. And he, he just told him the whole show. He, want, he wanted to show him the whole of history. Right. That's why I find the book it so fascinating. Because it's like once you know the book of Revelation... Like I once, I once memorized the whole book of Revelation, and I find that a great inspiration to me. If I'm having any battles or trials, I start reviewing what I've memorized. And if you know the Bible, and you know the book of Revelation, and you know the book of Daniel, and you know these things well, then your next step, ladies and gentlemen, is to read the book of Enoch, because it's just as powerful. It's fantastic. That's where I would go after knowing the Bible really well. I'd start with the book of Enoch. Of all the Apocrypha books... I'd state the book of Enoch is the most important. Right. Because he was the first prophet of God. He had such an amazing contact with God himself. And he described everything from the beginning to the end. Like I said, there's, there's no end of treasures here in this book.
So in chapters 85 to 90, like I said, you've got the dream visions. In chapter 92, you have got the answer to one of your questions is, I call it here the authorship of Enoch confirmed. That's in chapter 92. How's it confirmed? Well, you ha he himself says it. <laughs> See, that's the thing. See, what I find with people, some people pick up the book, you know, they read a couple of chapters, they never, they never get back to the depth of it because you've got right. to study it quite a few times. It's not like any like novel you can read. It's the kind of book you've got to apply yourself to. You've got to study it and you've got to pray while you're doing it as well. You have to use many spiritual gifts when you're reading this book. Yes. But I think what it will do to people, if they read this book, and they read it in prayer, and they ask the Lord to show them truths, you'll see more than I've seen. I've written this book because I want people to open their minds that the spirit world is far more fascinating than this physical realm. God has unlimited amount of treasures that he wants to reveal to each one of us. Each one of us who loves Jesus, he wants to speak to them. So if you're studying a book like this, Jesus can tell you, is that true or is it false? Like, like I, I've said in my first book was, I write this with the motive, I just want to open people's eyes and get them to ask questions, get them to find out, is it true what I'm saying? Is this true what Enoch's saying? And, and they'll be pleasantly surprised when they do a bit of work themselves. So like I said, this is not just a novel. This is not just a book you can just sit down and read, say, hey, I've read that. Right. I, it's people that have read it so far, and there's been, there's been quite a lot of people, about 50 people read my book so far that I know of, uh, and they've all said they liked it very much, but they said they had to read it slowly, including yourself. <laughs> Feeling all right while listening to Nightlight. Well, Stephen, I'm looking forward to recording an audiobook of it so that people can listen to the whole book of Enoch clearly read to them so they can get a bird's eye view of the whole book, after which they, they can then study it in detail. I think it's a very good idea. I also think that if people have a copy of my book, now I'll tell you what I've heard. I have, I have given away lots of free PDF copies of my book to quite a few people. But what people tell me is they prefer to go and get the paperback of the book because something like this, you want to study, you want to have a copy in your hands. Like, I'll give an example here. If you have the book itself, you have this advantage. You can go here, for example, and you can go to look at this, chapter 96, and I've called it Sirens Shall Sigh. Now, I thought the sirens were just something that was a mythological creature of so-called in the time of Jason the Argonauts. Right. These enticing mermaids who would entice sailors uh, to their death on the rocks. But apparently, such creatures do exist. Wow. And that is a, another subject where Enoch talked about. He says, the sirens shall sigh. You have to go back in history to find out where did the sirens come from. Enoch says that the sirens are the women that the fallen angels made love to. When they died, they became the sirens. That's what it says in the book of Enoch. So I'm telling you, there's so many treasures in this book, you don't want to miss reading this book. I mean, like I said, I, I get so inspired every time I talk about it. Uh, so does my wife. It's just thrilling to read this book. I mean, it's just, I'm just a person to try and help people with the, so to make it easier to understand like I said before, because a lot of people find it difficult reading old English, you know, but I try to make it easier for people to understand. That's basically my job. And to give a bit of inspiration. 
It's nightlife. What a delight. Now here's another chat here. Chat 103, I call it the Great yep. Tribula I call it the Great Tribulation. Chapter 104, I call it Portals of Heaven. Now there's another thing there, portals. Enoch describes portals. Where do we hear that word today? We hear it all the time. You, you, you find out scientists are finding portals in the sky. They're finding portals here, there, and, and there. You know that these things are real. There are, the portals are some sort of dimensional gates that science has discovered. You know, you've heard about the Bermuda Triangles. That's just one example. But Enoch right. talks about portals. Enoch talks about portals between heaven and earth and, um, and, and other places. I, in my book here, I also talk about what we've been taught about the earth. I won't go into too many details because I want people to read the book. How the earth is made up is not the way we've been taught. We're taught that the earth is solid. It's got a solid core of fire in the middle. But that is not according to scripture and it's not according to the apocryphal books. Right. I've talked with Jewish rabbis and I've talked with people from, um, from what they used to think. And what they came, and they all say the same thing. And this applies not just to the Jew, Jewish religion, or not even to just the Bible, but it also applies to many cultures around the world. Nearly all the religions, they state the same thing. Uh, and I state this in my book that prior to 1955, nobody believed the earth was solid. Really? Everybody believed the earth was hollow. And I'm convinced the earth is hollow too. It makes a lot more sense. A hollow object has a, a more space to put something inside, like hell lake of fire, in a world, in a sun. But these things that I describe, and Enoch describes them in his book. So that, that's on chapter 104, I mentioned that, portals of heaven. Chapter 105, God and his son. Here again, you're talking about God the Father and God the Son. There in chapter 105. A very strange chapter in 106, an angelic-looking baby Noah. There's a very funny story about Noah was born with his eyes lighting up the whole room, his father was afraid. He thought, oh my God, my wife's had it off with one of those fallen angels again. And it runs off and talks with Enoch about it. He says, no, no, this is, this is a good son. This is, well, Noah's, he will be the savior of the remaining people on the earth. So, very funny story there about the angelic looking baby Noah in 106. And then 107, it says in Noah's time, great destruction. And finally, the last chapter, Hall of Fame of the Righteous. Like I said, I've just mentioned a few chapters there, all of them exciting topics in their own right. And that's why I'd say to somebody, don't try and read this book in a hurry. Do what you yourself have stated. Read it little by little, enjoy it, and, and try and find, you know, some cross-references to it. Do a bit of research yourself. You've got to give yourself some time, and then I think you yourself will become an authority on the Book of Enoch. And my hope is that people will just spread the word. People will tell others about this wonderful book that, like I said, was blacklisted for a thousand years uh, under the threat of being burned at the stake. Well, we're not under that threat now, so I'd like people to please spread the word about the book Enoch. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. And our guest is Stephen Strutt. Stephen, this has been really fascinating. I'm already looking forward to recording the book of Enoch as an audio book, but I noticed there are a few different translations. Which one would you recommend? No, the one I've done is the King James, the original. And it was translated, I believe, in 1919, something like that. I have the emblem. I'm trying to look for it. Here it is. Here's what it says here. 
The original source of this particular copy of the book of Enoch, translated by R.H. Charles, D. Litt, D.D. London, Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge, 1917. But it's what I was, no, what I was trying to say before was, you've got the original book inside my book, right? You've got the whole book of Enoch here. But sometimes people have said to me, they found, I made the comments because to draw out lessons and to draw out what was going on and what people have read it said they found that very helpful because quite a few of them says well I started the book and you know and put it down because I got lost somewhere but they said because I put conclusions in there and I put cross references in there and a lot I yep. mean there's so many bible verses and there's so many cross references so many comments they said they finally managed to read the whole book Okay, because yeah. I've tried to make it easier for people to want to read the Book of Enoch. Because, I mean, I'm an enthusiast about the Book of Enoch, obviously. And I'm, a, I'm an enthusiast. I love it. And I want others to taste that same enthusiasm. So that's why I guess I put that in the book, too. <laughs> Stephen, we have about 10 or more minutes left in the show. I'd like to leave time maybe to read a chapter or two from the Book of Enoch to give people a taste of how it is, how it sounds. So in conclusion, from your side, anything else that you'd like to add? For instance, would you like to give out your website or any way that our listeners can get a copy of Enoch Insights? Yes. Um, the thing is, I'm willing to send a free PDF copy to anybody who asks for it, either by them writing to you, if, it's, if you have a way of them downloading it, or... You can write to my email address, especially for this. My email is activatedscotland at gmail.com. Okay, that's easy enough. Activatedscotland at gmail.com. So if anybody writes to that email... You'll send them a PDF copy. Wow. What about your website? Can they get it on your website? My website is a very big website. It has at least 120 blogs on it. You know, it's like... Um, it's, a, it's a massive thing. I built my website around my first book. And my first book was called Out of the Bottomless Pit. And that was based on Revelation um, 8 and 9, right? So that was my first book. So I started the website, so it's kept that name. So it's called outofthebottomlesspit.co.uk. If you want to know about me and about, because my books, they are on Amazon, right? And I'm, a, I'm also at Author Central. So here's an easy address where you can find out a lot of information about me you can see a video of me you can see my background a lot more information that's on www.amazon.com front slash author front slash triple seven dot seven well thanks Stephen, for everything you've shared and we'll be looking forward to you coming back on the show another time to talk about your other books on second estrus and the book of jubilee You've done a huge amount of research and study, cross-referencing, and I really pray that many people will take the time to read the book of Enoch. I'm certainly going to spend time giving it a thorough read after being inspired by everything that you've shared. Thanks so much, and God bless. My pleasure. Well, we're going to go out now with me reading you a few short chapters from the book of Enoch. This will be chapters 1, 6, and 7, and chapter 46. I'll sign off here and I hope you enjoyed the show. Please do join me again next time for another international edition of Nightlight. God bless you. Bye-bye. The Book of Enoch 
Chapter 1 The words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation, when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. And he took up his parable and said, Enoch, a righteous man, whose eyes were opened by God, saw the vision of the Holy One in the heavens, which the angels showed me. And from them I heard everything, and from them I understood as I saw. But not for this generation, but for a remote one which is for to come. Concerning the elect, I said, and took up my parable concerning them, the Holy Great One will come forth from his dwelling, and the Eternal God will tread upon the earth, even on Mount Sinai, and appear from his camp, and appear in the strength of his might from the heaven of heavens. And all shall be smitten with fear, and the watchers shall quake, and great fear and trembling shall seize them unto the ends of the earth. And the high mountains shall be shaken, and the high hills shall be made low, and shall melt like wax before the flame. And the earth shall be wholly rent in sunder, and all that is upon the earth shall perish, and there shall be a judgment upon all men. But with the righteous he will make peace, and will protect the elect, and mercy shall be upon them, and they shall all belong to God, and they shall all be prospered, and they shall all be blessed, and he will help them all, and light shall appear unto them, and he will make peace with them. And behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to destroy all the ungodly, and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness which they have ungodly committed, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Chapter 6 And it came to pass, when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And Semjaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone will have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath, and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear they all together, and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And there were in all two hundred who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon, because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. Chapter 7 And all the others together with them took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go in unto them, and defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots, and made them acquainted with plants. And they became pregnant, and they bare great giants, whose height was three thousand ells, who consumed 
all the acquisitions of men. When men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. Chapter 46 And there I saw one who had a head of days, and his head was white like wool. And with him was another being whose countenance had the appearance of a man, and his face was full of graciousness, like one of the holy angels. And I asked the angel who went with me and showed me all the hidden things concerning that son of man, who he was, and whence he was, and why he went with the head of days. And he answered and said unto me, This is the Son of Man, who hath righteousness, with whom dwelleth righteousness, and who revealeth all the treasures of that which is hidden, because the Lord of spirits hath chosen him, and whose lot hath the preeminence before the Lord of spirits, in uprightness for ever. And this Son of Man whom thou hast seen shall raise up the kings and the mighty from their seats and the strong from their thrones, and shall loosen the reins of the strong and break the teeth of the sinners. And he shall put down the kings from their thrones and kingdoms, because they do not extol and praise him, nor humbly acknowledge whence the kingdom was bestowed upon them. And he shall put down the countenance of the strong and shall fill them with shame, and darkness shall be their dwelling, and worms shall be their bed, and they shall have no hope of rising from their beds, because they do not extol the name of the Lord of Spirits. And these are they who judge the stars of heaven, and raise their hands against the Most High, and tread upon the earth, and dwell upon it. And all their deeds manifest unrighteousness, and their power rests upon their riches, and their faith is in the gods which they have made with their hands, and they deny the name of the Lord of Spirits. And they persecute the houses of his congregations, and the faithful who hang upon the name of the Lord of Spirits.' 